What's up, Florida State sports fans? Kurt Weiler, Carter Carls, here with another episode of the Null Sports Podcast, talking all things Florida State athletics. It's a time where there's a whole bunch going on, obviously. Football in full swing now, one scrimmage in the books. Baseball and softball, both doing well, both in the, the top ten nationally. It's, uh, it is, I would say, a, uh, a good time in, in Florida State sports. Carter, how's it going? Going great, going great. Uh, yeah, it's busy, but it's fun. Uh, lo- gotta love uh, Florida State having their first scrimmage this past Saturday. Uh, we've we've got a lot of takeaways, uh, really, from what we've seen the last couple of weeks since they've uh, come back from spring break. Yeah, I mean, it's the benefit of uh, of getting to watch the ones. We did not get to watch the uh, scrimmage, kind of relying on uh, on talking to people a little more about that, and obviously talking to the coordinators after as well but uh the scrimmage seems like i mean i don't know i think there's been a pretty healthy uh give and take with the offense and the defense the scrimmage which actually i mean it's what you want to see and and i'll be honest watching spring last year it wasn't what you saw like from from what i got to watch the spring last year that wasn't the case and there's i mean the thursday's practice we got to see it it was a great day for the offense. I mean, it was receivers making big plays. It was Micah Pittman making some unbelievable plays. It was Johnny Wilson, I mean, looking like Johnny Wilson needs to. It was a good day for Malik McClain. It was a good day for the running backs. And I think the uh, from from what we've heard, I think uh, the defense kind of got a little revenge Saturday. And especially in the early going, uh, uh, dominated things a little bit in that scrimmage. Yeah, I, I want to just circle back and, and highlight Micah Pittman for a second because that guy, I mean, my goodness, uh, he has really come on the last couple of weeks. I think early on we were seeing flashes from him every now and then. You know, he'd have one catch per practice. He'd say, okay, if, if he can string more of those together, well, well, that's exactly what he's done. And, you know, he's, he's a kind of a smaller receiver. He's like 5'11", 5'10". But he plays almost like he's six foot three with just his catch radius and the way he can haul in and high point balls that are in traffic, that kind of thing. Just seems like he's snagging every pass coming his way. And, you know, you mentioned that Thursday practice. Um, I thought what I was impressed by was, you know, outside of a, a few plays uh, that were bad from the defense, it wasn't like the defense was playing terrible the the quarterbacks and wide receivers were just playing at an unbelievable level they were uh the the quarterbacks were putting balls in tight windows where only their receivers could get it and then the receivers were coming down with you know one-handed catches diving catches um high pointing a, a, a high pass and double coverage that kind of stuff um and it was just really impressive and you know, I think it, it, it took some time uh, for that consistency to grow. And certainly the, the first practice um, out of spring break, it, it, it was a little bit of rust from Jordan Travis and, and, and the wide receivers. But that, that Thursday practice, I think, is the first time where you said, okay, these guys are starting to get comfortable. And that to happen that early is, is also worth mentioning because – you got four new wide receivers from the transfer portal this offseason. You know, it could have taken all spring to get to that point. But to, to, to have that practice that they had was really impressive. That There was a stretch near the end where Jordan Travis uh, and the offense drove a length of the field and uh, three plays. Um, and like, like you mentioned, Malik McClain has started to really come on. He's, you know, k- kind of had a couple plays every practice where you're like okay yeah this this guy's clearly going to be the guy uh one of the guys uh this coming season but that was a practice where i felt like he especially stood out uh you mentioned johnny wilson as well uh jakai douglas probably had the best is probably having the best spring of any wide receiver uh, outside of maybe micah Pittman right now um so yeah i think i think we're starting to see that consistency come from the quarterbacks and, and wide receivers. And, and you really like what you've seen from Tate Rodemaker. I have too. Um, it's, it's really uh, important that he's come on as well. Yeah. And, and I fully understand 
people's skepticism about Tate Rodemaker. People who've seen how he handled has handled the the moment early in his career. I mean, I know uh, there's been some hesitation to to heap too much praise on him because of what we've seen at moments on the field. And obviously, I I, I understand why. It may not change anything. Some people still may not be comfortable with with putting them in a game. Fans, that is, and and they may want to see it in a even. I mean, you want to see it in a spring game before you even remotely really try and believe it. But I mean, it's a it, it's been legitimate. I mean, he is, is he pushing Jordan Travis for the starting job? No, I, I, Jordan. I think had the best day Saturday. I think Jordan. Is is kind of a guy who who just is the most consistent, but there are days where Tate goes throw for throw with Jordan, and that's not always the case. I mean, Tate also it wasn't as efficient as the Jordan touchdown drive, but Tate also led that touchdown drive late in the scrimmage, and it was a it would ended with I mean a really impressive throw and catch by uh, Michael Pittman. We talked about him. I mean, a, 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 a one of those catches that almost, I mean, defies logic of how he not just caught it, but got a foot down. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it bears mentioning. I mean, all of this, I mean, it looks like the, the hits at receiver do span. Uh, the movement skills are there. The receiver skills are definitely still uh, still coming along. He's uh, – it, it, it just – he looks like a guy who's only been playing receiver for a year and, and is now at a new school learning a new offense – after only one year playing wide receiver. It's not to say he couldn't click at some point, but he does not look a guy who's going to be an instant contributor like like Pittman and Johnny Wilson could be. It, it bears mentioning, I mean, all this despite, I think the guy who we felt the best about coming into spring in uh, Winston Wright, who uh, unfortunately he was dealing with something. He was somewhat limited early in spring with a separate thing, and then over spring break he got in a – he was in a passenger seat for a, a car accident. wasn't at fault, but – was a, a a bad, bad accident. I mean, from hearing Mike Norvell talk about it, he said hearing what, like, about the accident and, like, the severity of the accident, we're, we're just glad he's kind of still here, was kind of what Mike Norvell said, which speaks to, uh, it, it speaks to, I mean, how, how lucky Winston may have been, even if he, I'm sure he doesn't exactly feel like it right now. But... He's a guy from from what we're hearing. I think he's gonna be be out for a while. It doesn't sound like something he's gonna be back from uh, anytime soon. And Mike Norvell kind of didn't address the severity of the injury, so it, it is unfortunate because he is definitely. I think. I mean, he had the most production at his previous stop at West Virginia, so it's unfortunate for FSU that who knows when he'll be back. I mean, I think at this point it's a is he gonna be ready for fall question, and I think that's a a legitimate question. But the nice thing for FSU is, I mean, while he's recovering, you've liked a lot of what you've seen from Micah and from Johnny Wilson. And, and I should mention, like we talked about a little, from some of the younger guys who who have kind of, the gauntlet's been thrown down with bringing in so many transfer wide receivers, and we've seen a few of them rise to the occasion. We've seen Darian Williamson have his moments, like you mentioned to Kai Douglas, Malik McClain. Ontario Wilson has been, he's been up and down. There have been some real ups, there have been some downs, so... You're seeing the 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 rest of that room kind of rise to the challenge too. Yeah, and and you know, I think I mentioned maybe a week ago, two weeks ago. The one thing that is worth kind of following is who's going to be stepping up as that number one guy. I think we've started to see there be really a lot of competition in that regard. We've seen Micah Pittman really dominate certain portions of the practice. We see Malik McLean do that as well, and I think that's um, all that you want to see. And something else that uh, just kind of flipping over to the other side of the ball real quick that um, kind of stood out to me from a, we talked to Adam Fuller, the defensive coordinator, on Saturday. He said that, you know, with – I mean, obviously there's, there's going to be a lot of attention at cornerback with uh, Jarvis Brownlee uh, entering the transfer portal this past week. Um, and I, I think there is a lot of healthy competition going on there. It's not like they're, you know, uh, kind of scrambling uh, on what to do. I think there's been a lot of guys that have, have popped at that position. Uh, you know, uh, Renardo Green is somebody that uh, Mike Norvell has talked about quite a bit. Uh, Marion Cooper has had a, a pretty strong spring. And then you've, then you've got some, 
younger guys that you you like what you've seen so far? Sam McCall, Zaria Thomas, both of those guys worked with the twos uh, on Saturday, uh, and to do that, you know, seven practices into your uh, Florida State football career is is uh, is, is worth mentioning, um, and, and certainly you've got some guys who cross training, you know, might play safety, might play corner, you know, you got. Sam McCall at safety right now. Well, he, he could he could play corner probably. Uh, Travis J, you know, uh, lining up at safety. Could could he play corner? Uh, move back corner? I don't know. But um, I think uh, they they've got some good flexibility. They've got enough bodies there. Um, and and Jarvis Brownlee leaving. You know, you might disagree. I don't know, but uh, it d- doesn't seem like too big of a loss to just seeing what uh, some of the other cornerbacks have done this spring. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm wondering kind of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I've gotten a lot of questions about it. I did a mailbag over the the spring break, and I, I got a few questions asking about kind of that situation and, and what was up. I don't want to get into that. I don't want to make it about that because it's 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 not what this is about. But I tend to agree with you in that I think if this was a situation at a few other positions, if this was that Mike Dravel may have a tried a bit harder to keep him on the roster. I think they they feel so good about their depth there, even losing a guy who's been a, a multi-year starter. I think started 15 games over the last two years, started 11 games last year in Jarvis. It, you, you never want to lose that guy, but I think they feel rightfully. I mean, I'm not I, – I wasn't – it wasn't a sure thing by any means that Jarvis was going to be a starter. I mean, even if he had been around and been practicing and was still a part of the team – he would have had to fight to keep his spot. I mean, Amarian feels like Amarian was gonna have one of those is gonna have one of those spots. And I mean, the other spot, Kevin Knowles could move outside. Like you talked about the freshmen have impressed. Greedy Vance had a bit of a slow start, but has really come on lately. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of contenders, and so it was far from a thing of Jarvis. I mean, Jarvis has been a playmaker, and Jarvis has kind of that that dog mentality that I know a lot of people like. But Jarvis also made some pretty big mistakes. I mean, Jarvis was on the hook for that that touchdown against Jacksonville State. I mean, you can also say Adam Fuller was on the hook and 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 with the play call and with all that. But Jarvis was the player who who let the man get behind him in kind of like a hail mary type situation. So yeah, I mean, it was a uh, a uh, I mean, Jarvis was an important player for FSU for quite a time and I would say it probably exceeded expectations relative to like the uh, I mean he was a part of I think they brought in six defensive backs on that class and he was the lowest rated one he was lower rated than Akeem Dan he was lower rated than Travis J he was lower rated than Demory Tate or I don't think he was Demory Tate's year actually but either way he uh I mean it, you feel good about it now where if you're Mike Norvell you probably didn't have to push too hard for keeping him almost out of like desperation if he didn't want to be here yeah that's a good point didn't seem like there was uh didn't seem like florida state were on their knees begging for jarvis to (laughs) come back so and i think that would have been the case adam i mean not not to i mean if that were one of their important linebackers because i think you feel good about their linebacker group but you lose a piece or two and that changes in a hurry i think if it were one of their defensive ends I think if it were one of their, even one of their running backs, I mean, there there are situations where, but that it's not one of them. I mean, absolutely. And and just to kind of also talk more about the transfers, since that's so much of a focus this spring, with 10, 10 being on campus, 13, 13 freshmen as well. We we've, we've really started to see Tana Bethune and Bless Harris and Jared Verse. Uh, come on uh, this this spring I think um, it's just you kind of start off the spring you you think well these newcomers are kind of learning the playbook they're getting accustomed to tour of duty and the the, um, strength training and all that kind of stuff classes and and the adjustment of living in Tallahassee all that kind of stuff you hope that by the middle of the spring they start to come on and I think we've seen that from a number of guys we mentioned Micah Pittman already. We mentioned Johnny Wilson. Um, but I, I want to mention Tatum Bethune, Bless Harris. Uh, Caden Lyles, another one. 
Um, and, and Trey Brent, Benson, uh, Mike Norvell said, had a couple nice runs in Saturday's scrimmage. I think he's someone who every now and then kind of flashes. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, we, we've kind of seen those transfers, for the most part, uh, take take a nice step forward. And it um, seems like they're going to have a, a, a few impact guys uh, from that group. I think when you get 10 whole transfers you can't expect all of them to hit. There, there are going to be a couple guys in that group that are probably never going to play. Um, but as long as you can get six or seven legitimate contributors and then two or three really, really good guys, it's going to be a successful transfer class. And I think, I think they have the makings of that from what we've seen so far. 100%. I mean, you talked about Trey Benson, and I think he is a – Worth, worth mentioning here, I mean, a- along with what the coach has said about Trey, yeah, he was a guy who, from what I've heard, had one of the more impressive days uh, in Saturday's scrimmage. I mean, he, uh, they were, uh, I mean, obviously, in order for them to take his transfer, he had to come here, he had to get medically cleared. They had to, like, check his knee for himself and, and see that he was good to go. There wasn't any any lingering things. Some fans I know still weren't a fan, weren't, weren't didn't like that take. They thought that if you were going to take a running back, why would you take somebody coming off a knee injury, all that, and, and we're questioning it. And, I mean, he, I don't think he's going to be the number one back for them, not that Mike Norvell normally kind of relies on a number one back very often. He normally does kind of the running back by committee. But he has shown plenty in flashes. I mean, beyond Saturday's scrimmage, he has plenty of flashes. You see a guy who looks like now he is kind of two years removed from that knee injury. And I always feel like with ACLs and, and knee injuries of that sort, that that first year they may be back, but they're kind of not themselves again yet. And that he, I think, looks like himself again more and definitely is a different type of running back than anyone else in that room with his size and speed combination. If he's kind of back closer to himself, it's a really nice compliment to what a guy like Trayshawn Ward brings you, to what a guy like Lawrence Toafili, who's also looked pretty good this, uh, this spring, yeah. brings. Yeah, I, I'm very, very curious to see the steps that we, we've seen from Lawrence Toffoli, how that will translate. Obviously, I think he was a four-star recruit uh, out of high school. So he's a guy that I think brings a lot of potential from that group. And we've seen him be a lot more active as a receiver. He's just kind of that all-around athlete. Uh, Trayshawn Ward's another guy who, you know, I don't know if in the first – few practices he really stood out all that much but i think lately he has they, he's just really elusive uh in the second level uh really shakes a lot of defenders um and i think that's kind of what's impressed me about him and you like to see how involved uh florida state uses their running backs in the passing game i think that's become quite a focus uh as well um and we've seen guys like ward and and Tofili be be a big part of that but like you mentioned I think uh, we've seen flashes from a whole bunch of guys uh, at that position Rodney Hill uh, certainly has has, uh, has been good and um, there's been a couple other guys from that group as well yeah it's uh, it's I mean you it's the one of the few things that felt like and Mike Durrell didn't have a ton of a negative to say after Saturday's scrimmage I think it was largely positive. One thing I know we talked about was uh, tempo. I mean, when you look at it, I wrote a story about it yesterday. You can read on uh, Tallahassee.com, Northsports.com, in, in Monday's newspaper uh, about, I mean, the the one thing was the, the tempo of not being, I mean, you look at the numbers, and obviously number of plays, number of plays per game, those aren't, th- there's not a great measurement of tempo in football like there is in basketball. Just because, I mean, it's dependent on third down conversion rate and all types of stuff like that. But generally, you can look at a number of plays and say more plays equals good. Equals you're running faster or you're staying on the field, whatever it may be. When you look at his last two years at Memphis, they were top 15 in tempo both years. I think they were 7th in 2018 in terms of number of plays. Florida State's been sub-100 both of his first two years here. Part of that's, I mean, the offensive depth chart, the offensive roster that he inherited. They've struggled in in third downs. They've been about 35% converting third downs, pretty bad there, which 
keeps you from staying on the field. But part of it's also, I mean, when you're so reliant on big plays instead of kind of being able to piece together drives, it's hard to get that tempo going. So much of the tempo is first down and go. First down and go. And that's not really been what this Florida State offense been just because of who's been around the first few years. I think with the running back room, with the receiver room, with an offensive line that I think should take another step forward, and with a, another full offseason for Jordan Travis, I think this will be an offense that could be closer to what Mike Norvell wants. And I think that's why he's really pushing tempo. And I thought it was interesting. I mean, he talked about, obviously, you think of tempo with the offense. He talked about it with the defense, too, and the importance of that. Yeah, I, I think with the when – when you talk about kind of moving the ball down the field, I think what's going to be important will be – having some of these newer weapons that can be used in that way. I think we've seen Pittman out of the slot make a lot of really tough catches. You think about third down, he's in single coverage, and uh, he's got to make a a catch one-on-one. I feel a lot of confidence in that guy. Johnny Wilson has become a really good security blanket over the middle. It just seems like they'll have a drive where they'll throw it to him four times in a row over the middle. Um, and you know how important that'll be in the first down. He's almost like a, a diet tight end of sorts at that uh, 6'7", 235. Um, and then having a guy like Malik McLean who can go up and, and catch a one-on-one on the outside, maybe a go-route kind of thing, um, I think you've got some more versatile options with how you can spread out the defense now. I think the key is... I, I keep saying it. Do you do you have the explosiveness? I think that's still my question at running back. I think they've got an, enough guys in the room to make it a serviceable position. But will they have a lot of sixty-yard touchdowns? Will they have a lot of uh, you know big plays from the wide receivers? I think that yeah. is kind of remains to be seen. Uh, the offensive line being improved definitely helps in that regard we've seen a lot of uh a a lot of guys flash uh from the returning starters to the the two transfers uh i think we've seen enough to where not only do they look better but they have better depth if you know they suffer uh, struggle with injuries like they did uh last year um i think yeah it's just it's just how explosive this offense i think another thing to mention too jordan travis really seems to have improved his deep ball. I think we've seen him uh, anticipate receivers better. We've seen him connect on his deep ball a lot more. And he's also uh, been a lot less big play happy, if that makes sense. Like, he hasn't been like, all right, I'm just going to throw it 40 yards down the field or I'm going to run. Like, He'll take what the defense gives him a lot more. I think that's something that Mike Norvell has talked about a lot is, you know, that this is someone who can make a lot of big plays for you, but sometimes you just need to make the play that's there. And I think that's something that he's done when it comes to the little dink and dunk game and, and uh, checking it down to running backs, tight ends, that kind of thing. What, what, what I'll say, and it, it's interesting. I mean, it, so, so much of it remains to be seen is, I mean – it's a credit to, I would say, Mike Norvell and former offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, whatever their collaborative roles were in offensive play calling, how much success FSU had running the ball despite a group of wide receivers who really hasn't won one-on-one battles consistently the, the last two years. So I, uh, I, I get kind of the, uh, the hesitation a little bit and the wanting to see, but I, I would say I'm decently optimistic about what this running back room and what they'll be able to scheme for them if that wide receiver group, I mean, like they seem to be, is better at beating one-on-ones this year. Because, I mean, they haven't been able to. And still, Florida State was, especially in the first half of last season, a really good running team. Like, among the best in the nation in yards per carry. And obviously, you lose Sean Corbin. But I think Sean Ward, like we said, has really carried over. I think Lawrence Tofili was hurt last year, looks looks healthier and looks more like himself again. And I think Trey Benson it has proven he's a guy who who is ready for a role at this level. I think I'm just greedy, Kurt. I think I, I look at the big best offenses in the country, and they all have a guy. Hey. You know, the running back by committee is 
is, is what they need to do right now. But if you want to take your office to the next level, you got to have a fifteen yard, like or twelve hundred yard rusher. You know, what I mean, you got to yeah. have a one thousand yard receiver. Until they get to that point, the offense isn't going to be extremely explosive. Now, I do think they're taking all the right steps, and uh, but I think recruiting and 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 getting the right guys in that room will, will be uh, important for them if they want to take it this team from a seven win team to 10 win team that, that kind of land and that's what you need to get to that point as well. you got to get the seven wins first that's true <laughs> that is true but i think i think what we've seen this fall or this spring has given us kind of a lot more confidence that they can get to that point this yeah. fall i i i i i definitely feel continue to feel better about predicting seven wins, which is probably about where I was hovering coming into the spring than I did coming into the spring. I definitely, having watched as much of the spring as we have, I, I agree with you there. I mean, obviously, uh, they're passing the, uh, the, the midway point of spring Tuesday will be the eighth practice out of 15. I think actually the, the 14th practice, I think I guess they're halfway to the spring game now, cause that's the 14th practice. Then they'll come back for one more. I think the Tuesday after that. Just as like a uh, go over the spring game type practice, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they build. But I mean, I understand any fan who may want to uh, see it for themselves before believing it. But take it from someone who watched a lot of last spring and who's watched this spring. This spring's been a lot more fun to watch. There's been the back and forth that hasn't been there before. You've been encouraged by, like we've talked about, a, a lot of the new guys. And it would be interesting to see. I mean, uh, this first scrimmage was obviously more uh, situational. And I think Mike Gravella said the second one will be more more game flow, closer to what we'll see in the spring game the uh, the Saturday after that. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I was kind of uh, – I know the first couple practice, they were just kind of in shorts and helmets. But I think I was kind of like – Man, we got to get more one on ones here. Where's where's the eleven on eleven, seven on seven, one on one? I want more competition. You know, uh, that's kind of how I was feeling, and I think we've seen that improve every single practice. Not only have we seen more, and obviously getting more like into spring, you're going to have more of those competitive settings. But we've seen a lot more competition as we've gone on. That's the good sign. I think the only setback day was last Tuesday, and that was kind of a day. Where they uh, just came back from spring break, one, uh, you know they hadn't practiced in ten days. You would expect that. But. And Mike Dravel and the coaching staff threw them into it. I mean, it was a they were it was their first practice in 10, 11 days, and it was a full pads practice, and there was a lot of one on one work, a lot of seven on seven, a lot of eleven on eleven. I mean, it was it was almost it felt like an even more intense practice than usual. Just of like, a, let's see how y'all handled your spring break. Yeah. I will say I've never I don't think I've ever seen a team have a practice after the spring game. Is that is that new here? I have never seen that before. That's interesting. That kind of stood out to me. Well, it kind of lines up with I mean how they do things during the season where uh they normally they they take Mondays off during the week like from practice and they practice yeah. Sunday night as like a the guy, the players who played don't practice a ton. It's more getting getting action for the people who didn't play, and it's a light day for those who did. But it's immediately being able to. I mean, I think it's more about film than anything else. Of immediately looking at the film, immediately being able to kind of. I mean, it's the same way where now, like they have those screens out at practice. We haven't talked about it. so much about instant feedback. You know, I mean, it's a the screens are so interesting. I mean, obviously. For when you're watching practice, they're great because it is literally just a loop of the previous play. And then when there's a new play, it loops the new play and it switches. It's so funny, like, during 11-on, you'll see a player come off the field if they made a good play or if they made a bad play. And they'll just watch and they'll be either mad at themselves or they'll be bragging to a friend, like, look at that, look at what I did. It's just so funny hearing them just, like, hearing them talk and, and get them getting that instant feedback I think is very useful. I know Mike Norvella credited uh, – uh, Bruce Warwick, the uh, associate athletic director for football, he recently got a promotion uh, for hi- him suggesting that. And obviously, Bruce is a guy who worked with Sean McVay and the Rams, helped coordinate that move to LA. has an incredible amount of experience and uh, and is bringing some of what he learned from the pros to FSU, which I think is helping on that technology side of things. Absolutely. 
So we want to talk about baseball, softball, the other stuff. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the uh, the the polls are are coming in now. We'll see what the USA Today baseball poll says later today. But I'm seeing. I mean. We're not just covering now two top ten teams, but as of this week, Florida State is fifth in the D1 poll and in Baseball America's poll. So we're covering a a, a top five baseball team and really a top two uh, softball team. I mean, all baseball keeps doing, obviously, Sunday leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth, but all this baseball team keeps doing is steady winning, winning weekend series. I mean, they are six for yeah. six. The last five, they've won two out of three. So, I mean, I, and honestly playing at this level, playing the type of schedule FSU has, keep doing that, and you're going to be a national seed. You're going to be a top-eight seed, and your road to Omaha is going to go through to Cowser Stadium. Yeah, and this will be a really big week for them, too, because they're they're going to play Florida, obviously, Tuesday, and, and Jacksonville, and then Notre Dame, who's been you know up up in the top of the polls uh, all season. They'll be, they'll, they'll be hosting Notre Dame. So um, this team, just they, they just keep finding ways to win games, and their starting pitching has just been phenomenal uh, all season. You know, I, I wrote a, a feature about Ross Dunn this past week. It's just one of the more improved uh, players in college baseball, coming from making one start last year and 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 kind of struggling at times. Just you know, kind of looking like that true freshman that he was. Um, you know, I think his first start, he walked five batters, couldn't escape the inning. Now he's a guy who has uh, just been really impressive uh, for, for Florida State. Um, heading into last weekend, he led the, the, the starting pitching rotation in, in ERA. I'd probably Sunday uh, probably probably knocked him down a little bit. But, um, yeah, he, he, uh, he's certainly been a big part of it. And also Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, uh, two guys that had huge, huge expectations going into the year, uh, have been great. We've seen Reese Albert really, uh, really flash. I, I don't know if his uh, batting average is still above 400. It but, is. Uh, he's hitting. He, he's hitting 409. Just, oh my gosh, that guy has just been crazy this season. And, uh, and what a story! I wrote about him a few weeks ago. But just, I mean, he 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 wasn't sure he wanted to kind of come back. He's been through a lot the last few years, and he came back, and he's definitely being rewarded. Absolutely, the two freshmen. Ame Ferrer, James Tibbs, they've been two of the best players on the on the whole team. And then, obviously, we've seen the, the transfer splash, Alex Terrell, Brett Roberts, Jordan Carrion, you know, those guys. Um, so it's, it's really been a complete effort. I think the struggles we have seen continue to be struggles. The, the strikeouts, you know, this is a team that still strikes out at, at a pretty, pretty, pretty poor rate. Um You'll see the bullpen struggle uh, every now and then, uh, and, and then I think the base running at times can can get the best of them. Uh, so, obviously, uh, not perfect, but when you think about postseason, Kurt, it, it's all about pitching, right? And it's also about who's hot. But like, you're starting pitching if you've got four guys that are dynamite, and that's what they've got. Yep, you can go as far as your team wants to go i mean to have carson montgomery pitch the way uh that he has this year that's that's going to be a really good uh guy to have for them on a day two day three situation in the postseason uh, not to mention having three solid left-handers in messick hubbard and and dunn so this team just seems built for the postseason uh, i don't know i don't know about you but like uh when you compare them to past teams, what, where do you kind of like stack them up as far as like just what you feel like they're going to be able to accomplish postseason wise? I mean, my my thing, I do not expect them to make it through the whole season without losing a weekend series. I think there'll be a weekend where two of those starters are don't have their best stuff, where where the bats go dead a little bit. I, I but but my thing is, I mean, you talked about those pitchers. When you have four starters this far into the year who have ERAs between Ross Dunn is the best at 2.0 and Parker Messick at 2.84 is the worst of the four. I mean, when yeah, when you have four guys who have started five or six games and all have ERAs below three, I think you feel good about your 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 odds about just about 
against just about anyone. I mean, especially in a two of three seeds series like a uh, like a super regional, if they were to make it to that point, especially if they got to do that at home. I mean, I, I'll credit uh, Brett Nevitt, Knowles 247, with the stat. I think yesterday's game where Ross didn't make it out the second inning was the first time since March 1st that uh, an FSU starter didn't go five innings. It had been 15 straight games, that, that and that streak finally ended. But that speaks to the consistency. And, yeah, you don't feel – you don't feel – I mean, the bullpen, I think, will be better, and it has been a little better than it was early in the season. I don't read yeah. too much into yesterday because they weren't using their high-leverage high arms once, once that game got out of hand like it did. But I think Davis Hare, who you didn't have at the start of the year, getting him back makes you feel better. And, honestly, he might end up being the closer – Jonah has that proclivity at times to to give up home runs. It looks like, I, I mean, that's that has been an, an issue at times. But he can also have days where he's unhittable. I think uh, Wyatt Crowell, I will be interested to see how he can build off of. I mean, he obviously didn't last too long yesterday, but I think that was somewhat intentional for trying to keep, and, and Mike DeMartin did say, everyone who, who threw yesterday is going to be available tomorrow against Florida. So I, 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 there are problems. I agree. They strike out sometimes. The base running has gotten a little better. There, there haven't been as many as many issues lately, but it's still an occasional thing that that rears its head from uh, from time to time. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, when you have that rotation, you like your odds about in, in, in just about any series. Moving over to softball, I think. Uh... <laughs> I probably jinxed uh, Ross Dunn with my uh, with my feature on him this past weekend, but you uh, you you kind of had the perfect timing with Michaela Edenfield. Uh, I think you were working on a story with her, and I think she had two home runs in one game, and you're like, okay, this is probably uh, pretty good for my story, right? Um, and now she's up to 12 on the year, 33 as a whole as a team. I mean, she's got more than a third of their home runs. Uh, to do what she's done, batting three forty six. I mean, uh, just one heck of a season for her, and gonna be really, really interesting to see if she just keeps this up. Where where she's gonna stack up among the kind of the all time greats. Uh, the more the more seasons that she has here, um, you don't like talking about people like that super early in their careers, but that's just the kind of start that she's had, uh, and certainly gotten really good really good pitching from Catherine Sandicock and, and Danielle Watson so uh, this has just been a really really dominant team they've got a, a really good uh, matchup coming up with uh, Virginia Tech I believe it's next week right they, they host Virginia this week and then it's Virginia Tech next week um, and so uh, they just keep winning games and uh, they're, they're you know it's hard to hard to kind of uh, pass up Oklahoma, <laughs> what they're doing this year. But uh, outside of Oklahoma, there there really hasn't been many other teams better than, than Florida State this year. Yeah, and even Oklahoma, I think, almost lost yesterday. We were following that up in the the baseball press box. They uh, came pretty close. I think they they had to walk off. They were down one nothing going into the seventh against uh, Baylor, and and had to walk it off. They almost suffered that first loss of the year. Which, which I was told by Oklahoma fans, they, uh, they're, they're the best team ever and that, that they, they might run rule every game they play, which, I mean, it's a, uh, yeah, it, 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 things are about to get real interesting for them. I mean, because they've played some good teams. they played especially some good teams in Clearwater. And then obviously that win at Alabama is very impressive. Alabama that only had lost four times all year is ranked fourth in the poll. But yeah, things are about to get interesting. The, uh, New poll comes out here soon, but in last week's poll, Virginia Tech, who they play next weekend, is ranked fifth. They got Clemson a few weeks after that at home that's ranked 16th. Then the week after Clemson, they have Oklahoma State at home who's ranked seventh. I mean, it it is really good timing from a standpoint of right as spring football comes to an end and we're able to kind of maybe give them a little more attention, there's going to be some great games to end a lot of them at home. I mean, they seems like it lines up for them where they play a lot of the, the tougher opponents this year at a, at home and, and some real tests. But, yeah, Michaela's been, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, when you – the comparison, obviously, is uh, Jesse Warren, who uh, d- didn't have the, uh, the, the most homers in a season in, in 
program history. I think that was, was it Maddie O'Brien hit 24 one year? But she her four years were two through five in the FSU, the, the record books for single season. She had 19 as a freshman her first year. Michaela might get there. I mean, it, it, another two-homer game, and obviously the schedule's going to start ramping up here. We'll see how she handles that. But, I mean, she homered quite a few times in Clearwater against some of the best competition. She homered against Alabama. Like, it is not a situation for her where she is feasting on kind of the, the midweek games or the week games in on the schedule. She is hitting against the best of the best and everybody. And so uh, I think another impressive thing when you look at it, I mean, I, errors with catchers don't have to happen a ton, but she's caught, I think, every game this year and hasn't made an error. <laughs> and she's obviously a, a non-traditional catcher. She's she's 6'1". I think she's the tallest player on the team. Probably looks more like an outfielder. But uh, yeah. talking to Lonnie Alameda, I didn't even kind of get to touch on it in the story, which I would advise you, I would hope you would read. I think I'm, I'm proud of the story and how it came out. Talking to Michaela. Um... But talking to Lonnie, I mean, she didn't ever really doubt that, and Michaela didn't even. Michaela was a pitcher, and she said she got moved to a catcher because she played on a team where the coach's son was their coach's daughter. Sorry, was the pitcher, and that at first she hated it, and she's grown to love playing catcher. But uh, no, I mean, it, it was a. Uh, I appreciate Michaela's candor talking about uh, her first fall and testing positive for COVID and dealing with a heart murmur after that. Uh, kept her sideline for a while and she she didn't get to really participate much at all her first fall and but it, it i mean she she was the bullpen catcher last year when ann shellnut was finishing out her eligibility and she's now uh making a really big mark right away and yeah it'll be interesting to see where her uh where her future goes and and like you said yeah florida state on the road this weekend at virginia and then things uh get real real starting next week all over again and i think that should be a great uh push up to the postseason where it's going to be a run of really good teams yeah that was the thing about Michaela that really stood out from that story it's like I mean I'm not uh I'm no no doctor but having a heart murmur and and going through that and that just seems like just not even playing to her fresh her true freshman year to go from that to where she is now is I mean I don't care how good you are that's hard to, and you think about, like, I, I think about, too, high schoolers and high school recruits, they were kind of robbed of that, like, 2020 year, you know, that, I guess that was her uh, senior year of high school, um, yep. I don't know how many games she played her senior high school, she might have gone two years of not playing any softball, um, and, and obviously had health issues, too. So to go from that to where she is now, it only figures that she'll continue to get better or at least continue to do what she's done so far. So that's what's what's been impressive for me is you've seen kind of the ripple effect throughout sports when people lost that 2020 year. And uh, we saw the effect it had on recruiting. It's harder to evaluate people. Uh, and so you're seeing like three star guys in football who are should have been five stars or four stars. Then you're seeing guys who were really highly rated early on in their high school careers kind of not show up as what what they were initially thought because you know their senior year they actually weren't that great, but no one could really know because there weren't enough games and camps to to really evaluate them. Um, we saw the ripple effect that that had, but with Michaela, she went from having two hard seasons back to back to doing this, and that's what's been the most impressive about it to me. Yeah, it's hardly just her. I mean, like you said, when you've got someone like Kaylee Mudge who's hitting over four hundred this far in the year, when you've got Devin Flaherty, when you've got Mac Leonard, a transfer addition, when you've got Sydney Sherrill, who I mean, is I mean. Will go down as one of the 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 all time greats in program history for what she did as a true freshman, helping Florida State win the national title for what she's done really throughout her career. But I mean, by by her standards, not having a year kind of up to her up to her standards, I would say of of what she accomplished early in her career. And Florida State's still thirty and two. I mean, it speaks to Cat Sandercock. It speaks to Danielle Watson, uh, Lonnie Alameda. I mean. It, the the program culture she's built is unbelievable in that building. I mean, it it is funny. I was I was remarking to somebody the other day, the 
success that Lonnie Alameda and Mark Krikorian, the soccer coach, have had with their respective programs in the same complex while doing it such different ways. Where Mark is Mark runs it like a professional organization, and, and obviously that makes sense for a sport where there are such uh, professional aspirations, where, where that's something that... Uh, that that like all his players want to and have real paths to playing professional. There's not nearly as much of a path to playing professional softball. It exists. Jesse Warren, I know, still still plays, as do a few other. I think Jessica Burroughs is in that Athletes Unlimited League as well. But it's far more rare. The opportunities aren't as there. And I don't think that's all of why Lonnie does things the way she does. I think some of that's softball culture, but she's got it rolling, and she is a heck of a a, a pitching uh, a, a developer of pitchers. I mean, she she knows how to press the right buttons, and I'll be interested to see now. I mean, if they were to lose Catherine Sandercock, who could come back and could use the COVID year, but maybe she just wants to be done after four years. How uh, Ali Ali is it? I don't know if it's Ali Dubose, Ali Dubois, the the Boston University transfer who's redshirting this year and kind of learning and 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 taking that uh taking that tutelage under Lonnie, and I think. You, you have to have confidence in Lonnie and what she can do, whatever, however things shake out, just with the track record at this point. One other thing uh, before we kind of jump back uh, to football, I, I wanted to just mention we Florida State also lost uh, their best women's basketball coach in, uh, in school history. We, we've, we've failed to mention that. Uh, Sue Simro retiring. Uh, this last week was it last Wednesday? Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, that that was uh, pretty huge. It was uh, kind of a last hurrah for her this past season. You know, she took the one year break to care for her uh, mother in S- Seattle and came back. And you and I had both kind of written about a little bit of how she. It was kind of a hard adjustment for her jumping back into um, jumping back into coaching, and uh, I thought. All things considered, she had to handle. She had to deal with a lot uh, this past season. There were a lot of injuries early on. The, the COVID stuff. They, they had a, a few games canceled or or, or postponed. Um, the fact that they even made the tournament was uh, pretty surprising, considering where they were in February. They're sitting at ten and ten. Then they, you know, win seven of the last ten. They beat BC and the in the conference tournament. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they replace her with. Um, you'd like to think Brooke Wyckoff on, on the, on the staff with her being an interim coach and being a former player. Uh, you'd like to think she would be a candidate. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other candidates, uh, mentioned as well, but we'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, I mean, what what Sue accomplished, not just this season, but, I mean, in putting this program on the map is, is frankly remarkable. I mean, she came in with uh, no D1 head coaching experience. She'd been an assistant at, at Wisconsin and uh, to, arrived at a program that had been to the NCAA tournament three times ever, and I don't think ever made it out of the – I think maybe made it out of the first round to the second round once and had never made the uh, – the Sweet 16. She took FSU, I mean, to three Elite Eights, to five Sweet 16s. There, I mean, I, back, I remember back-to-back years. Was it 2014, 2015, 2015, 2016? Somewhere in that range. I don't remember off the top of my head. Where Sue was right there as the number two seed with South Carolina and, and, and came up inches short. Just one play not going their way short of a Final Four berth. I mean, they, she was right there. And... and we're seeing what South Carolina's done this year. I mean, they won their their Elite Eight game this year over Creighton by, what, 20 or 30 points? I mean, yeah. th- that is a titan of this sport lately that on Staley's built. And Sue Summer had Florida State right there. And it, I, part of me thinks, I mean, it's a shame she, she never got there. But but at the same time, I mean, she what she accomplished for this program, even if she didn't ever do that, is going to be remembered for such a long time and, and sets the stage up for whoever's next, be it Brooke Wyckoff, be it someone else to, to ha- be in a much better spot. Uh, it, it, they're inheriting than, than she did. And that's because of Sue. 
Now, Pro Day, real quick. Uh, that's tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we're going to see, I believe, nine players are going to be there. The Kalen Brooks, Jay Sean Corbin, Jermaine Johnson, obviously, Mackenzie Milton, Andrew Parchman, uh, Emmett Rice, Devontae Love-Taylor, Keir Thomas, and uh, Jordan Wilson. What will you look forward to there, Kurt? Anyone that you're in particular kind of uh, curious to see how they perform? Well, I'm interested to see what uh, Jermaine Johnson does. I'm not sure he's going to do much because, like, he's a guy who went to the Combine, who impressed at the Combine, did everything. I don't know what he has to gain, but maybe he thinks he can run a better time. Maybe he thinks he can put up better numbers in, in, in one of the things. Who knows for sure? So I'd be interested to see what he does because he's a guy who's, I mean, was already probably a first-round guy just based off of his uh, his his year at FSU. I mean, being a, a new player who became the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. But with what he's done in the combine, with what he's done throughout this whole process so far, he's played his he's worked his way into being top 15, maybe even top 10 type guy taken. I mean, he'll be one of the first defensive ends off the board. Behind, I would imagine... Uh, Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan and and Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, but he he may be the third guy or the fourth guy. He will be an early guy at a like a premier position that that teams value taking guys high and early in the draft. Um, in terms of other guys, because I'm again I'm not sure what he'll do. I mean, Keir Thomas is a guy who probably easily could have been, debatably should have been invited to the combine and was not. Didn't get that opportunity, so I think this will be big for him. I mean. I would imagine the NFL will be well represented with a guy like Jermaine. And I think Keir could take advantage if he has a good day. I mean, I don't think he's going to play his way into being even probably a, a day two pick. But I think he could play his way into being an earlier day three pick if he uh, with a good day. And I'll be interested to see what, what he's able to do. I think it, it's big for him. Uh, there are a bunch of other fringe guys, guys who, I don't know, Emmett Rice. I, obviously a tough end to his career here with injuries, but... I don't know what he'd be able to do. Devontae Love-Taylor uh, could could maybe play his way into consideration with a, a solid showing. Um, Jordan Wilson even. I mean, he uh, is never going to be the most mobile of tight ends, but a really good blocker and showed some capabilities as a receiver. What's he, uh, what's he able to do? I think there are uh, a number of guys worth keeping an eye on. I don't know uh, who you had your eyes on in particular. Well, going back to Jermaine, something that I'm really curious about, not just – for Tuesday, but kind of going forward, um, obviously we'll have more Florida State players to watch in the in the years to come. But like, I wonder how pro days will be approached from those first round guys. We we saw what happened with David Ajabo uh, from Michigan was a defensive end, supposed to be top ten, top fifteen pick. He, you know, does his pro day and he tears his Achilles yeah. and drills. And you just think of how much college football has changed in the last three years really where I remember uh, when Jalen Smith and Notre Dame suffered just the most excruciating and upsetting leg nerve injury um, uh, in his bowl game I think it was the Fiesta Bowl uh, it, it, it nearly ruined his career, and, and you could argue it did in the sense that like he never really panned out as the NFL player that he once was thought to be. He was thought to be a once-in-a-lifetime linebacker when he was coming out. And then when that happened, obviously he went from being a top-ten pick to being you know a second-round flyer from the Cowboys, and then it ultimately didn't really work out for him at the NFL level. And so I think the reaction from that, and we've seen other injuries. We saw what happened with Matt Corral, uh, quarterback out of Ole Miss in his bowl game. It wasn't a serious injury, but it was enough to kind of make you think, oh, my gosh. So we've seen so many opt-outs in these bowl games. We've even seen players opt out of entire, like, half of seasons. We've seen players opt out of seasons with, with what happened to COVID. And I think initially – the, the perception publicly was like, oh, you quitters, you know. But but now it's like people understand that there's so much money involved uh, in these sort of decisions and there's a lot that goes into it that it's not as much of a frowned upon thing anymore. So when I look at pro days, you know, I, I could see some players thinking, 
why do I need to do this? I already did combine. I already did this. And I'm talking about the top guys. For a guy like Keir Thomas, absolutely, he should be doing everything. But a guy like Jermaine Johnson, what's, what is there to really gain? You're already going to be a top 10 pick. All you could really do is hurt your chances uh, by, by doing everything. So, you know, it's not great for the media. It's not great for the public because you want to see these guys. It's not great for scouts. You want to see these guys perform. But if you're thinking about the player, you, you begin to wonder, okay, what is there really gain for Jermaine Johnson in this? And uh, I just think it'll be fascinating to see how that evolves um, for future first-round guys, if there will be kind of a reaction to this recent trend, and if there will be more of a willingness to, to sit out these sort of situations. Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, even before that incident, I wasn't sure that Jermaine, like, was going to yeah. do anything Tuesday just because, like, if he's happy with the times he put up or the, the metrics he put up, doing it again and doing worse would only hurt things. You know, like, if he doesn't think he's anything to gain, why, why would he do it? But, yeah, I, I think especially something like that makes people in his situation really evaluate things. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we've seen it more and more in bowl games. And, and, and yeah, I pe- feel like people have long been saying, like like you said, like, oh, because it started in bowl games, now people are going to be sitting out whole years. And obviously, like you said, it happened with the COVID year. didn't really happen this year. But yeah. it will be it – will, it remains to be seen if it becomes more of a, a trend, how much the trend uh, stretches out. And, yeah, incidents like what happened with David Ojabo will, will – uh, will, I feel like speed track that. Like, we'll, we'll fast track it. Before we go, Kurt, uh, we we got to mention it, right? With we, the Oscars we, last night, I mean... Yeah, Coda, like, right? Congratulations, Coda. It's very good. <laughs> I, it was the slap heard around the world. That's what I'm calling it. Um, I got I to gotta get all your thoughts. Was it real? Was it fake? What, who's in the wrong? Will Smith, like, what? Oh, there's just so much going on, and I just... For me, I love chaos, so it was amazing. I was scrolling through Twitter for probably an hour last night, getting caught up on it. You watched it live. Um, oh, my gosh, it, it was crazy. It quickly became an all-time Twitter night. That is 100%. I was just there. I mean, it, 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 we, people talk about, like, the nights where, like, you wish Twitter had been around. Like, what would have been the best nights to be on Twitter before Twitter existed? This was a night where I was very glad Twitter existed because I was just scrolling, liking a whole bunch of things with people getting off jokes. I mean, I was definitely for a, a few moments team that was staged. There's no way that was real when the slap happened. But when he sat down, when he yelled, the reaction of the theater, the more I've heard about people saying like, yeah, no, that wasn't in the rehearsal. That wasn't a planned thing. That was a, a spur of the moment. I, and obviously, I mean, the Will, the Will Smith reaction after with his speech and everything. Um... <laughs> I, I I think it was real. I think I don't think it bothered Will Smith. I think if you noticed, Will Smith was laughing, turned yeah. and looked at his wife, who had rolled her eyes, was clearly not happy about it, and then his mood changed. That I feel like it was not something he did for himself, but because he felt he needed to protect his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. Which, I here's my thing. I. Was it a big deal? No. Was it a off-color joke? Like, it, the, the joke to me. It was an off-color joke, sure. Was it worthy of that? No. I mean, my thing is, to that happening, and then Will Smith getting up on stage, I mean, we're going to get serious for a second, and kind of uh, using language that abusers kind of use, of saying, like, love makes me do crazy things and things like that. Like he kind of found a couple different ways of saying that kind of eked me out a little bit. Like it was, uh, it quickly turned from like, what the heck just happened to like, I feel gross about this, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it was, especially in like the Twitter world, people just want to like fire off all their takes. And like there, there was like one guy that was like, uh, I think it was Judd Apatow. It was, yes. Yeah, he's like, oh, Chris Rock could have died. And, you know, then there's other people that just, like, they love to make it a bigger deal. Like, it's hard to have an opinion because you can, like, you can see why Chris was wrong 
for what he said, but it's also like, okay, Will Smith should not be doing that at all. Like, that's not an adult-like way to handle things. Um, obviously, uh, to, to do it in, in, in a live broadcast uh, in front of all those people, um, and then to, to use the language he did afterwards wasn't, wasn't great. But, you know, it also was something that his wife had, uh, had been dealing with, uh, with with her condition, I, I can't ever pronounce it. alopecia, right? Is that how you say Al- alopecia? Alopecia. So, um, but who knows if Chris Rock even knew that she had it? That's there, the thing. Is, she puts it on Instagram all the time. But what if he's not on her Instagram? What if he doesn't follow her? Like, it, it, yeah. It, he who who knows? I and mean, there's going to be so much of this we never know. I mean, yes, yeah, some of the, some of that nonsense. Like, I know there. Some of the Twitter discourse was a was a, a bit much for me. I mean, the Judd Apatow, like I like Judd Apatow, I like his movies, but that was that was a bit like, what what are we doing? I mean, like he would a slap would never have killed him. I mean, credit to Chris Rock who really took that slap. Yeah. My my the- thing is, I I think part of it was just like, I think Will Smith had a good feeling he was about to win his first Best Actor Oscar after years of trying, after losing two previous times. He was the heavy favorite. I think emotions were high. I think he was near the end of a crazy award circuit run, and I think his emotions got the best of him and 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 ruined his... He ruined his own moment. I think because it quickly didn't become about him. It quickly became about that, and pretty much they had to rework his entire speech, it felt like, just to 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 make it about that and i mean he's worked his whole career maybe not for that moment but that is like a a definite reward of a whole career and and i'm sure the night didn't play out like he imagined because he uh lost his cool it's crazy to me because like i feel like he is a constant target of jokes from hosts at award shows you know he's always there in the front he's always like (laughs) people talk i mean it's not new yeah. So I I don't know. It's uh I, I I'm glad that like should Chris Rock press charges? No, I don't think so. Yes, he could. Obviously, I don't think he's going to. It doesn't seem like, and I think that's for the bad. I think we just need to move on. I don't think Chris Rock has any interest in doing that. But I was crazy. I mean, it's a uh, we've seen some craziness at the Oscars. I watch the Oscars most years. I actually, it's funny. I watched the Oscars with uh, the year the the La La Land Moonlight thing went down. And went to bed like right before that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. the wrong winner announced. I had like I, I had to be at work early the next morning. I was still working at a school at that time. I wasn't full time the Democrat yet, and and so I went to bed and missed that. I was glad I was here for this one because it was an all time moment. That I mean is going to be it. It will be a where were you win moment thirty years from now. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think back to, at least in my lifetime, like, some of those bigger, like, I'll always remember where I was moment. I think, like, the Kanye West, Taylor Swift thing was one of them. Yep. The La La Land Moonlight thing. Uh, this was another one. Janet Jackson, Super Bowl? Janet Jackson. I mean. Yeah. Um, and anytime they happen, I mean, it, it is almost like, and I'm really gonna show off my uh, my age here. It is, it is like all right, time to get on Twitter because it, it it's just it becomes, it, it's almost like watching a stand up routine. It's just constant comedy uh, on Twitter and just the stuff. Like if you haven't looked already, just literally type in Will Smith's name on Twitter and you'll see four million memes that are all hilarious. So it it just. Again, I'm Team Chaos. You, you hate to see that happen, but it is hilarious to see some of the memes and the reactions that have come from it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It was a, uh, it was crazy. It was a, uh, uh, I, I mean, it, I don't know. It, the Oscars got what it wanted. It got the attention it wanted. Probably not how it wanted it. I don't think it would have chosen that. But people are talking about the Oscars more than they have in years. Let's be real. And so I think the Oscars, all not in the way it wanted, definitely got what it wanted. So if, if we're comparing this to Florida State, is Will Smith Florida State and Chris Rock is Miami? Or what, what are we uh, – <laughs> what's the comparison there? Well, we gotta... Florida, Florida State men's basketball, Miami basketball would probably be – I mean that would be the 
the the most immediate. It's nine in a row now. They've they've won in that series. Um, let's see. I mean, it could be. And Chris Vaughn recovers just like Miami recovered and went to the Elite Eight, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, well. <laughs> but yeah, that it's, that was if your team fake. Chris Rock did not like touch his face or like he kind of kept his hands behind his back. The, and the, that was kind of a weird reaction. The crazy well, thing that, to me is that all happens. And then you hear Chris Rock start to say, like, oh, I could. Like, basically, like, I have something I could say right now that would really blow up your spot. And I'm just going to take the high road and not say it. And, like, how much money would you give to know what Chris Rock was about to say there? And what if Chris Rock, like, like I, he doesn't seem like that kind of guy. But what if he just fought back? Like, imagine if there was a full-on brawl on the stage of the Oscars. Like, I... It could have been so much worse than it actually was. Uh, it's just kind of wild to see like all the things that could have happened, and um, I, I'm very curious to see like <laughs> will, if Chris Rock's going to go on like you know uh, Jimmy Kimmel or something, or if Will Smith's going to release an apology. Like they've got to like they've got to say something about it. They can't just go about their lives and act like nothing happened. I'm very curious to see the kind of the fallout from this. So apparently it's funny that this literally came down while we're talking about it and we should wrap up here. I got a, I think we both have some work to go do, but uh, Bovada just put up odds for a Will Smith, Chris Rock fight. (laughs) And Will Smith, a a pretty significant favorite at minus 220, Chris Rock at plus 155. Gosh. I think those odds are about rightly set. Chris Rock is not a especially big dude. No. Will Smith's a big guy, too. I think that's that's the biggest thing is why Chris Rock... I assume Chris Rock, A, he would have looked really bad if he had made the joke, got hit, and then fought back. But B, I think he knew, like, this is not a fight I would win. If this became an actual thing, like, this would not go well for me. I think he is a smart man. Would Will Smith do that if... Dwayne the Rock Johnson made that joke. No, I do not think so. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. So. Man does not want to get the people's elbow. Will Smith, pick on someone your own size, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we end on a very non-Florida State note, but I think there was a, a a lot of good to be had here. I'm uh, it was always it's always nice to catch up. Always nice to uh, talk football. I'm sure we'll get back with you uh, sometime in the next in the next week or so, maybe after the second scrimmage to. Uh, talk about all things Florida State. We we appreciate you if, for some, if you subscribe to the podcast, if you subscribe to the Tallahassee Democrat, if you uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, it, if you give us a review, that's always uh, appreciated on whatever uh, you listen to your podcast on. But we, uh, we appreciate you for listening. For Carter, I'm Kurt. Thanks.